Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Mark Cloutier. Mark is the CEO of Kaminar, a nonprofit community-based agency that's been providing support services to individuals with mental health disorders for more than 50 years. Before joining Kaminar, Mark held leadership roles in prominent health organizations and foundations, such as Horizon Services, the San Francisco Foundation, the Center for Youth Wellness, Kaiser Family Foundation, and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. A longstanding resident of the Bay Area, Mark is a graduate of Lewis and Clark College and earned a master's in public policy and a master's of public health at the University of California, Berkeley. He's also a published author, having co-authored Prevent, Screen, Heal, Collective Action to Fight the Toxic Effects of Early Life Adversity. We're excited to have Mark with us today to discuss community-based mental health and his organization, Kaminar, operating across six counties in the California Bay Area. Mark, it's so nice to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Graham, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. That's awesome. Hey, give our our listeners just a kind of a sense of you. What brought you into public health to begin with and this whole passion behind shaping the mission of Kaminar? Thanks for the question. You know, I'm by, my framework is a public health framework. That's my formal training. And what that means when you approach mental health from a public health perspective is you look at populations. You you don't think about clinical care as treating people one-on-one, although that's how people get well. You look at the overall health of the the population, the distribution of conditions and disorders, mental health and substance use disorders. And then you look at how you can do interventions. They may be educational. They may be structural. They may be early clinical. How you can intervene early in the the cycle of mental health disorders. And that's what we're really focused on as an organization is not just treating people who are in a a state of acuity, but actually in particular working with children, with young people, with schools, with teachers, with administrators to do early intervention, teach emotional and language skills to kids so they can talk about their feelings and have uh, what I would kind of describe as emotional competence as early as possible. You know, Mark, when you put it like that, what's interesting is that with the increase in the need for mental health services, the current models we have aren't going to be sustainable given the number of people we have and the practitioners we have. And two things that stand out to me from the public health perspective is that you get to look at things kind of on a larger scale and create systems for folks to receive benefits from that's a far more sustainable model in the long run particularly when you talk about early identification, early intervention, rather than things becoming more chronic and more kind of ingrained, that's a whole different road, isn't it? Yep, totally. And, you know, the research is getting more defined about the lifetime effects of early intervention with kids, particularly in adolescents. That's, a, as we know, that's a really vulnerable and, and critical moment of brain development and emotional development. And it's the time where kids start going in the wrong direction if it's not addressed early, as we know. Let's hold that just for a second I, I, and, and focus on that, actually, park on that. I want to come back to having folks understand a little bit more about Camonar, but let's do it in the context of 
the trends you're seeing with youth right now and what's coming up in terms of some frequent, maybe more common presentations that you're seeing come into yeah. the clinics and the services you provide? Yeah, great question. I'm going to actually go back to just before the pandemic and before okay. the COVID pandemic. So I'm talking 2019, early 2020, that we were seeing both in behavioral health uh, surveys and other kinds of data gathering that there was an uptick in kids who were reporting increases amounts of anxiety, depression, suicidality, suicide ideation that was at a substantial increase. And then we had the pandemic hit mm -hmm. in which kids were basically stuck at home often, yeah. you know, for 18 months to two years. You know, they're at a point in, for adolescents, going back to them, they want to be away from their parents, right? That's what they have to do that. They want to develop their own identity. They want to be around peers. And the only way to be around peers was to be on social media. And we know in particular for young girls about social media, about the algorithms, how they pull them they back do. in. Sure they do. Right? And what happens is you you compare yourself to other girls in terms of body and body size and appearance, and you end up developing more serious negative body image issues. It makes you feel more isolated. I would also add the increase in social media use during the pandemic cut down on the amount of sleep that adolescents had by, I believe it on the average, it was 45 minutes. So you have kids in this critical window not having the access to do the developmental work that they need to do. They're stuck at home. They go on social media. It reduces the amount of sleep. We know that reduced sleep time uh, it contributes to anxiety and depression more with females, and it contributes more to aggression with boys. Okay. So we have this kind of horrible brew. And, you know, there's more data coming out also about the effect of climate change on adolescents. There's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense that, uh, that the adults who are in charge and should be doing something about this are not doing enough. It's not going quickly enough. Kids are picking up and you know living in the middle of the political and cultural conflicts that we have going on. So it's more than the standard way that we think about mental health issues clinically. Yeah. There's so much going on for adolescents right now. It's really, really a tough time. And they deserve a lot of attention from us, parents, community members, and policymakers. Yeah, I, I still appreciate that. You know, even before, like you said, the pandemic itself, we, we knew that because of the social media and the whole focus on that, being online, internet, Instagram, Facebook, all the things that they have, Snapchats, we saw anxiety, depression, and suicide go up. I did some research a couple of years ago, and it was just amazing to me how this one device that is, you know, basically uses the same kind of intermittent reinforcement that that Vegas does, knows the bells and whistles <laughs> totally. and, and, and the reinforcement yeah. to keep you yeah. hooked. And yeah. I always tell parents, there are 40 psychologists behind every single program that your mm. child is on right now, telling the maker how to keep your child hooked how to keep them engaged with this. And basically it's, it becomes addictive it, and it's, and it's powerful and anyone of any age can be caught up in this. And I think they're, you're right. No, they're, they're, they're amazing dopamine regulator machines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's really what they are in terms of the intermittent reinforcement, right. And always wanting to come back for more. 
That's yeah. right. And there's always there's always that reinforcement piece and that, that that holds them in place. So you're you're right. That already began to isolate some kids. And then with COVID coming onto play, you know, I think I think in large part, you know, we've had some adults that haven't stepped up in some necessary ways to really step up and shepherd some of the roles that these teenagers really need in their lives. And I think programs like yours begin to fill a gap. But I also know that with COVID, we had, you know, here in Hawaii where I live, you know, and in, 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 in any place, the isolation was significant. We're, you know, we're very community-oriented, family and food, and that's kind of the way that we bond and connect. But also, you know, school for some kids nationwide is the safest place they have all day long. Completely. And for some people, it's the only place where they get a meal. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. And and are in the care of a caring adult who's paying That's attention right. to them. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I so we're talking about, you know, the the inherent challenges that are there for our youth right now, given what's going on, inherent given the the societal challenges that are in place. I love folks to hear more about Kaminar. And how you're serving sure. the population. You're in six counties right now. We're in Bayer. six counties in Northern California. We started 60 years ago. Next year is our 60th anniversary. Congrats. We started as a group of parents coming together who had older children, young adults who had severe mental illness, who for a variety of reasons, it was complicated to take care of them at home. They were concerned about them living in the community and they kind of created a version of residential rehabilitative housing supports mm. for young adults with SMI. And it's a rehab model that was really the basis of our organization. That's our DNA. And I'm proud of that DNA because I, I believe deeply in the rehabilitative model. You know, our, mm. so much of our mental health is focused on acute treatment. And we know that we know that there's a whole trajectory, right? Of before you present with symptoms, you begin your progression to severe symptoms, and then we know that you know people need aftercare, they need support, they need they need support groups often. So uh, I think it's really influenced the arc of how we approach our work, in that we look at the full range, starting with prevention and early intervention, treatment, long-term supports. Also, importantly, we address many of the social determinants of health. We work with people to get them job training, employment, income support. We hook people up to primary medical care. We provide housing and we serve primarily low-income residents of Northern California. To really succeed in treatment, you need to have a place to live. You need to have a steady income or some way that you know that you can stay focused on what you're doing to get well and that you have a place to live that's safe and that if you're taking medication and that that medication can be stored there. So we Fantastic. take a very comprehensive, all, all whole person approach to our care. Yeah, I love that. So I, as I was reading your site, that is the substance abuse and the mental health issues that get addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some folks maybe even being released from jail or or that are currently homeless with the psychiatric right. issues, housing. And right. Tell me, how do you identify the youth and how do they come into your program, Mark? Well, we do a lot of work in schools. So we're working in particular in Santa Clara County. I believe we're working in eight school districts. We do a number of things. We have kind of two modalities. One is we do social emotional learning. So there's a whole curriculum. There's a whole intervention. And includes teachers, administrators. It's very comprehensive. And again, it's helping kids 
to develop language, understand feelings, their body, and how to communicate those things, to develop competency in things emotional and psychological. Mm-hmm. Then we do a, a separate kind of work with school districts, with school administrators, teachers, principals on supporting them. Because to go back to the earlier part of our conversation, these issues, these, these increasingly pervasive issues, mental health issues that adolescents are bringing to school yeah. is challenging teachers, administrators about how to be responsive. So we, we do a lot of work about self-care actually for administrators and teachers because they need to be supported. They need to feel resilient. They need to have resources to deal with this increased acuity that their students are walking in the door with every day. What are you hearing from the administration, the teachers that are hands-on? What's their experience of the kids coming in? I, I think there's a, a, a kind of sense of overwhelm. You know, the corresponding issue to all this is parenting has become so much more complicated. And that was particularly true during, during the pandemic where parents are working at home, they're homeschooling their kids, you know, they're doing, they're doing laundry, they're doing, you know, all of that. And, and, and there's a residual that's still left from that, from even though we've gone back to work, there's still a lot of people working from home. Parents are in a more challenging place than they were five years ago. Yeah, they certainly are. What are you doing with the parents? So we do, we do family therapy, which is the full range of psych, psychiatry, medication management, psychotherapy, case management. Again, we work with families to help parents get better employment or, or employment for the first time. We help people find housing who are unhoused as families. We work a lot both psychologically and then kind of from a traditional social work perspective, stabilizing the, the kind of foundational issues for the family around housing, income, um, job support. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Going back under, you know, taking all those and kind of putting it under the umbrella that you mentioned earlier, the social determinants of health, that is really comprehensive. That's a, that's kind of a Herculean task you guys are, well, have taken is. on and, and are really actively involved with, but necessary. Necessary. And I'm, you know, I, I think there's a couple of bright spots. One of them is a reform of, in this state, the Medicaid program in California is called Medi-Cal. There's a, there's a very sustained legislative effort to integrate physical and mental health care and to be able to use dollars for health care mm-hmm. increasingly for housing for people. 
So I, I feel like we're getting some good policy support and that's going to, that's going to track with, with new and new reimbursement or flexible reimbursement. That's going to allow this more comprehensive approach to be taken. Really good. When you're doing the primary prevention, I'm, I'm always a big advocate that you're talking about basically early identification, early intervention. It's, it's, it's everything. If we can keep kids kind of in this healthy lane before they kind of start to go sideways, which, you know, oftentimes it's just their reaction to they're not being models of health or support that's necessary. And so they're really struggling and trying to find their way the best way they can. How are you particularly, you talked about some, some stats earlier and some things you're looking at. How do you assess them particularly along with maybe the school administration or teachers identifying some of the kids? What are the ways you identify these kids and invite them into the services that you have besides you know, some of the social emotional learning, which is huge. And I, I'm such right. a big proponent of that. What are some ways you identify these kids additionally? We get a lot of kids that get identified to us through community pediatricians, oh. Oh, okay. through school administrators, through teachers. It's really, that's kind of, a, I would describe that as that's kind of our feeder network for our prevention work and our early intervention and early clinical work with, with youth and families. The other major source is that in each county where we operate, the county has kind of behavioral health helpline. So people can call that behavioral health helpline and they'll get referred to us for care. It's really good. I've had a chance to work with some folks in the school and doing the social emotional learning and, and some of the things that you're talking about in other parts of our nation. And they oftentimes say that when they bring in this new program, the poor teachers say, oh, one more thing to have to do. However, when they begin to see the return on the investment that right. kids basically, they get to mature, they, you know, you can, you can act things out or you can talk things out, but you don't oftentimes learn how to talk things out. And some of the programs that you're describing allow kids to find ways to identify things early, name what they're going through, talk these things exactly. out rather than act them out. And then the teachers begin to go and the administrators go, oh, this is priceless. This allows us to do the work in the, in the classroom that we may not have a chance to do. I would imagine you're seeing the same thing. That that's that's right. And I think the other thing that's important when we think about this is it's not just kids going to teachers and the teachers kind of going, I don't know what to do. Right. It's actually training the teachers about how to do some early work with the kids, that's and then knowing that if they're seeing something that's more uh, complex about where to refer kids and to make that handoff. So I think it's very really important as we think about this work of empowering teachers as, as frontline in this work of, of prevention with adolescents. And when you put it like that, it's not like, oh man, I've got to do something that's so foreign and so brand new that it's going to take, you know, it's like, it'd be like turning the Titanic. It's going to take a long time to do. No, these are very easily implementable, controllable things that we can just add and kind of flavor to what we're doing during the day that have some really big return. Whether it's asking a kid a question or helping a kid kind of calm down in a very kind of self-aware way, and then finding ways to kind of get to the core of what that is faster, so the child has an awareness. Yeah, they, you know, kids don't have a frontal lobe, you know, in high school and you know, junior high, and so right. you know, not, right. not to in our mid twenties. So we're kind of their frontal lobes as adults. Yep, and we get yep. to kind of help them understand what's going on, put some meaning to it, understanding to it, and walk them through those moments with a good ending. Rather than something, you know, having to be acted out sideways. And so right. I love this idea that you're describing here. 
Well, and also it keeps them from suffering isolation. Um, That's right. And it's, you know, in the social emotional learning, talking about in the classroom, using language, as you probably know, social emotional learning curriculum is now in other disciplines. Like it's, it's, it's now in math textbooks. It's in a variety of things that we'd be surprised. The nub of it, as you said, is really helping kids to understand and feel and give them language. And that's the beginning of being able to give them help. And when you put it like that, oftentimes the isolation itself is kids don't know how to bring things to a conversation level, which requires me to understand first what's going on inside of me. Right. Being able, actually, even before I do that, sometimes I need to settle down and kind of self-soothe and calm and modulate what's yeah. happening, self-regulate. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't know how to do that. Maybe they haven't had that model at home, or maybe th some things are so triggering that they don't know what and how to do with what they're feeling, let alone then once they settle begin to put words to it. And then if I can put words to it, then I can kind of work through it in a way that reduces my isolation. That if I didn't have these things, I become more isolated because I don't know how to put words to it. And if I act it out, then you're going to see me as a bad kid or not a fun you know, classmate. And I've just isolated myself there unintentionally, but it's yeah. painful. Right. Yeah. Acting out is one version. The other is internalizing, right? That's With right. depression and, and, cutting yourself we know a variety of symptoms that are the turning in of that if that's it's not spoken to that's right we're going to act it out or internalize it both ways are just not, not ideal you know i would love to hear what's some of the feedback both what you're just witnessing and hearing from uh the kids themselves from this from the teachers that are kind of the first responders with the kids each and every day and also maybe some of the administration what are you noticing well they feel like this problem that they're really, quite frankly, overwhelmed by. This is a tidal wave, and it, it it was affected by the COVID pandemic. This tidal wave, they now have a way to think about it, how to address it. There's protocols, there's curriculum support, there's resources. There's a, I, I will, this sounds very industrial, but there's a way to process this now as a teacher. There's a, there's a, there's a through path. You have a way to have a learning in addition to the social emotional learning that the traditional learning that schools are for to occur. Yeah. You know what you're doing that I just kind of came to mind. It's obvious, but it's important kind of name. You're not just telling, you know, teachers, Hey, you know, little Johnny's having a hard time at home. And so no wonder his behavior in class is difficult. And that's important providing kind of right. contextual meaning for what's going on. But what I love that you're doing is you're giving these folks and the kids themselves something that's tangible that they can actually do right? that can be really uh, transformative for the child and efficacious for what their needs are. That if you just, you know, sit and understand and, you know, kind of say, hey, calm down. No, these are things that actually not just help them through the moment, but build larger skills. Right that then equip the child as they continue to mature and grow, that then become a natural part of who they are as young adults. In fact, we did one podcast where when you did this early intervention like this, the takeaway benefits long-term were both what we watch these young people become in their communities, you know, in their, in their families, et cetera, but also the financial benefits, you know, reduce costs here and increase costs there. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. It, so, it is 
It's impressive yeah. literature. No, it's very compelling to what you say. And it, you're right. It translates into people having more successful careers, having more earnings, having longer term marriages that succeed. Um, it, there's a whole spillover effect that, as you say, accrues over their adulthood. Yeah, really good. So the teachers and ministries you guys work with, they're liking this. They're, they're feeling like someone's throwing them a life vest. Yes. And I, that's really what it, the, uh, the reaction is, is that there was a sense of overwhelm and that, you know, and I would just say, I, I, I would, I would also say that foundations, other large funders are increasingly coming to the awareness of these investments in school-based early intervention, early treatment. And it's based, as you cited just a minute ago, Graham, the literature is compelling about the lifetime benefits of this. Yeah. So in that sense, it's not just avoiding problems or minimizing problems that could get out of hand. It's actually creating well-being. It's creating healthier communities. It's creating healthier marriages over the long run. That's terrific. I was you talking about funders. I was reading on your site your CEO's annual 2022 report and also just some of the things about your about your income and how you folks get, you know, your funding. Talk about your funders. And these folks that are really contributing in meaningful ways. So we have a number of foundations and individuals. We are blessed to be in Silicon Valley. I will. I yeah. must start with that. <laughs> and that's there's two reasons for that. One is the obvious that there's a lot of wealth in Silicon Valley. There's also a very, in particular, in the tech industry, there's a very high interest in mental health, in neurology, in brain science. There's a deep appreciation that how our mind works affects our bodies, our, our, our physical health, our communities. So with that as a backdrop, there are lots of opportunities to get a lot of support from corporations, foundations, individuals. And then most of our funding actually comes from government. We serve a lot of clients who have Medi-Cal, which is the state Medicaid program in California, which by the way, I'm, people are often surprised to understand, has very comprehensive benefits. And I, I will just say this by way of, most people have employer-sponsored health insurance. They don't know where to find someone to get care from. They, they often, if they get care, it's six visits. So Medi-Cal is not like that. It, you, can get, you can get very good assessment, diagnosis, and, and, and a, an episode of treatment long enough to significantly change your trajectory. So that's one of my wishes. I, I have a lot of uh, wishes from a policy perspective about parity, that mental health insurance coverage actually looks and operates and covers in that's what we need. That's gonna, that, would, that would address a lot of the things that we've been talking about. When you look at it that way too, you look at the parity from the, for the mental health we know that about 60, I think 63 to 68% of those that are presenting to their primary practitioner for some, you know, physical medical issue, there's an underlying psychological cause. And oh. so when you have those parity services that, that address it in a primary way, in a very specific way, there's that piece there. Then you have an opportunity to, again, save money because you're dealing with these things at the front end. And you have the you know financial costs being covered, in your case, with the Medi-Cal here in Hawaii, we have some really great coverage as well. So Mark, you're going to have 60 years coming up here in just a little bit, and that's a phenomenal run you guys are having. And what a wonderful legacy to be able to leave to the counties that you're currently in. 
I'm curious with this business model that you have that's so effective, are you able to help other folks in other counties or other states replicate the services that you're doing in their areas? We're always looking to expand. We want to stay primarily in Northern California. I say that because we did a strategic plan and we want to be um, smart um, and planful about growth of where and how. So we're looking to expand in the Bay Area. Uh, We want to become one of the larger providers in the Bay Area, in part because if you scale things, you can do better support work around quality improvement and training and continuously improving clinical delivery. Yeah, good, good. We'll talk about that piece, you're being planful around the growth and the expansion of services. Where are you seeing Keminar in terms of its future? Where are you guys going? We want to provide more services to people who don't have insurance. So we want to be developing a model that's pay out of pocket, that's affordable. You know, going to a therapist in the Bay Area for a one-hour visit is about $250 to $300. So it's very cost prohibitive for a lot of family who don't have high enough income where that's easy or low enough income that they qualify for Medicaid. So we really want to serve that part of the market. We also want to serve people who have commercial insurance from their employer. And I say that by way of not sounding really businessy about this all, but to really diversify our revenue sources so that as, you know, as we go through period ups and downs of the economy or right. payers change their methods, that there's some stability in the organization. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I uh, have so appreciated our time and I would love our listeners to be able to follow up with you and Kaminar after listening to our podcast today. How could they do so? The easiest way is our website is www.com. Kaminar, C-A-M-I-N-A-R-O-R-G. Perfect. Very good. Well, Mark, it's been great to be with you. Great to uh, have you on the show. And I am so impressed with what you guys are doing. Well done. And uh, thanks for our time today. You made your great interviewer said in your knowledge is very impressive. So it was a joy to to have a conversation with you. Well, Well, right back at you. I sure enjoyed it myself too. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Mark and me today. It's always great to have you with us. I'd like to remind you that our episode today, as well as an archive of all of our other podcasts and resource materials, can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. Thanks again for being with us, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.